0: Great events create great brands. And it takes a village to put on an event that engages, excites, and connects audiences to your brand. And we're that village. I'm Melissa. I'm Paulina. And I'm Rachel. And you're listening to Great Events, the podcast for all people interested in events and marketing.
1: Hello, everybody. What is going on in the wide, wide world of events? I'm Rachel Andrews, and you're tuning into Great Events Podcast. I am without my lovely co host, Alyssa and Paulina, today, but I am joined with some awesome guest speakers. Before I introduce them, I want to tee up what we'll be chatting about. Today's podcast is about MPI's WEC in San Francisco, and it was their 50th anniversary. So, very exciting stuff, a great event. I personally was able to attend. So, I'm excited to bring on two awesome guest speakers. I'm going to let them introduce themselves, but we're just going to recap and talk about everything that happened at WEC, some things not to miss if you want to check out future MPI events and everything like that. So without further ado, I'm going to kick it off to Melinda to introduce herself, what your role is at MPI, how long you've been with the organization and just a fun fact. So let's kick it
0: off with you, Melinda. Thanks, Rachel. Uh, Melinda Burdett, Senior Director of Events for uh, Meeting Professionals International. What does that mean? Because a title is a title, right? What does that mean? It means that anytime we meet face-to-face, my team is responsible for all the logistics content, everything associated with those meetings that are face-to-face. What that means specifically for WEC, which is World Education Congress, that's the child that I birth uh, every year. And certainly we have birthed three of those throughout the pandemic uh, in the last 18 months. I started with MPI in December of 2015, having come from medical association, corporate world. I had a little stint with the Atlanta Braves, Go Braves, We're Coming For You Mets. just feel like I bring all of that experience uh, to MPI and and certainly, planning meetings for meeting professionals is not something that I thought that I would be doing in my career, uh, but it certainly keeps me on my toes and and um definitely keeps me up to date with what's happening in the industry.
1: You and I have that in common, Melinda. we've talked about before planning events for the events industry is is a unique beast to say the least we have the best we have the best attendees possible
2: Melinda's keeping back a little bit there she's she was also named one of the top 30 event professionals on the planet or in the world or in the universe or something like that. And it's something like that. But she also, she, you know, she's the, the logistics and the lead behind um, not only the, the past three WECs during the pandemic, but uh, at least a few before that. And she's the spearhead for driving three, well, actually four in a row. World Education Congresses that have won global awards for being among the top association events that is in the world.
1: That's awesome. Well, Drew, what about you? Tell us, tell us about you and your role at MPI.
2: So I'm Drew Holmgreen. I'm Chief Brand Officer at MPI. I've been at MPI for about four and a half years now. My background before I got to MPI, I worked for advertising agencies my entire career. So I did that for We'll just call it 15 years. My career on the advertising world, I worked quite a bit within the hospitality space, but found my way into the travel space and just absolutely loved it. So when I was on my way of moving out of the agency space and into the the dark side, as, as we called it back in the day, uh, going on to client side, I really wanted to find something within the travel and hospitality space. I was looking at DMO positions. I was looking at um, hotel positions and all within the marketing and brand space and was brought the position at MPI. And I had some familiarity with the organization from my past, having frankly bought the strategies that we'd put together for clients. We bought a lot of ad space with MPI. So I knew the organization really well, saw it as a a unique challenge and something that I wanted to, to kind of dive into. And one of the things that really appeals to me about MPI and about just the hospitality space in general are the people And it's, it goes beyond the people that I'm fortunate enough to work alongside, but includes the people who actually work in this industry because they're very authentic. They're very genuine. They're very personable. Uh, the vast majority of them do not pull any punches, which I appreciate a whole lot. So when we talk about, uh, how we put on events for event planners, you know, we're cooking for chefs over here and we do that purposefully and we're, Damn good at it because I believe we have some of the best chefs on staff at MPI, and then certainly with our vast network of of uh, volunteers and voices that are open to share with us, you know, we get great opportunity to put on some just fantastic experiences.
1: So, fifty years at MPI, tell us how that pressure was planning an event and how you celebrated because I, you know, I was there. I felt the energy, lots of awesome stuff that you did with your history and your timelines and just celebrating those milestones. How did you guys feel about that?
2: Truthfully, WEC was one of the, it was a little bit of the culmination of our 50th celebration, but it really was a point along the line of the entire strategy that we had for MPI at 50. That strategy started getting built, gosh, in January of, of 2021. So like uh, anybody, we, we like to celebrate our birthdays a little bit longer than, than just a single day.
1: Not a birthday week. It's really a birthday year.
2: It's like a birthday 18 months, Rachel, but the whole strategy around it was, you know, I go back to the people of MPI. There are some incredible stories that have come out of this organization, and they're all contributed to the people. And if you really look at this community of event professionals, whether you're a member or not, just about everybody has touched, engaged with, or had significant benefit from something that MPI offers. So that's what we wanted to do was to create that mosaic of stories that have really created what... MPI has become over the past 50 years, and it did all lead up to WEC, and we had some just fantastic activations there, but we kicked it off at IMAX America in 2021. We partnered with a, a, a video production company called Gather Voices and started getting all of these stories, and by the time we got to WEC, we collected over 200 stories. We collected another 50 on-site at WEC and so we were really able to tell and showcase those stories, and do so through a number of different activations. We had our MPI fifty Museum, which uh, had just these beautiful, massive murals set up, along with some kind of artifacts that we'd collected through the course of the past fifty years that we were able to showcase on site. And then we allowed our members to to dignify and select our MPI fifty uh, recognized lists of individuals. So we had our MPI 50 Most Influential, which were 50 individuals who have really driven the industry over the course of the past 50 years. And we had our MPI 50 up-and-comers, and and those are the individuals who will lead this industry into the next 50 years. And then our legacy contributors, who are those that created the foundation of MPI. And each of those, when you're putting together an event like this, um, you always want to have sponsors to come along. We had great sponsors from Visit Branson and Visit Arlington, which provided the museum. Visit Houston. So we really had some nice partners who brought a lot of energy to it and are doing things beyond uh, what they actually bought into at MPI. But it's been a great celebration.
1: Melinda, anything you want to add there being at MPI since 2015?
0: Just a shout out to Jeff Daigle. I don't think that our creative director gets enough credit for Envisioning that logo, I mean, that logo really went through several iterations of that MPI fifty logo that we could then change and put and and really incorporate into everything uh, that we did, and and then uh, those walls. I mean, Jeff had boxes and boxes of papers and and things that he went through to put to be able to put together the MPI Museum fifty walls, and and for people to really pay attention to that. You know, you always wonder when you put up those kinds of things, do people even really care? But it was great to be able to see how we have evolved, how the graphics have evolved. But, but you know, I mean, it really does show how MPI has influenced the industry for the past 50 years.
1: For those listeners that don't know what we're talking about, there was a whole timeline wall where it went through all the milestones that, you know meeting professional internationals had over the last 50 years and people were taking pictures next to it selfies with their milestones i just joined the rocky mountain chapter we're going to have our 50th next year and we took we took a group picture by that milestone which was really cool to do so yeah it was it was great and just incorporating that just history rich history that your association has had over the last and the impact
0: that it's had on the
1: the uh, you know events industry it was really cool to see
0: well, and to see our honorees, you know, we called them the community of honorees. So to see our honorees be able to identify their their space on our walks of fame that we had, you know, and and be excited about that and, and take pictures of it, it really created a different energy. At least initially, it exceeded our expectations. I love the Gathering Voices
1: thing, too. I think that that organization does a really good job of highlighting it. So if you're an event professional and need to use somebody, they do a great job Curating some of that stuff
0: and helping with that story. And it's an easy setup. So you know, that's that's the best thing. It doesn't take up a lot of footprint and and they're great to work with. Well, cool. so
1: MBI um planning, let's go into that a little bit, Melinda. You're the resident rock star and behind the scenes expert. When I went up to Melinda on site, I said, Where where's your team? She's like, You're looking at it, and I have all of my awesome volunteers behind me. What does it take to plan uh, WEC? And um, I know you guys plan it 18 plus months out, but uh, go through kind of your process a little bit for our listeners.
0: It takes a village, certainly. And I want everyone to know we don't have this team of hundreds of thousands of dollars or people uh, associated with putting these events on. There are two people, uh, including myself, who plan all of the live events for MPI. So that does mean that we have to rely a lot on volunteers, local chapters, all of those kinds of things, which we are very fortunate enough to have throughout the world. So what does it take to plan an event for event planners? Well, you have to make sure that everything is scalable. We go through a design session every year. That's a formalized session where we're taking evaluations from the previous year, from the previous several years, We also involve our event design canvas uh, uh, partners who also do on-site planning. So they already talk while you're within the experience about what the experience should look moving to the future. Uh, We take those things into consideration. We take the location into consideration and then obviously all of the stakeholders. And that's you know your attendees, your staff, your boards, your, your goals and objectives for that individual event. We take all of that and wrap it up, kind of roll the dice on it, create an experience for WEC and roll it out. That's kind of the 50,000 foot view of the way that it happens. But obviously, planning for event planners is not the easiest thing to do. You always need to be on the cutting edge or knowing about new technologies or new trends or what are they looking for? And certainly throughout this pandemic, we've continued to hold face-to-face meetings and we've learned through those face-to-face meetings, what people are looking for. People are still looking for the networking part of what happens at these face-to-face events. I think that it's less, if you package it up correctly. So if you package it up where they can get access to your education post event, then their focus is going to be really about making those reconnections. Remember, we've all gone through lots of shuffling around of positions or companies or whatever it happens to be during this pandemic. So you're reconnecting with those colleagues and meeting new people and bringing this whole new group of, of industry professionals into the fold and welcoming them into the hospitality industry. So WEC kind of takes on a life of its own, but it it always starts with a design session, really looking at what we did well, what we didn't do well. I I don't believe there's ever a perfect meeting out there. It doesn't matter how small or how large it is. Nothing runs flawlessly. You're just trying to contain that chaos behind the curtain and not let it spill over to our attendees. So that's what we strive to do. We seem to be doing it effectively. Certainly for the last few years that we've won these global awards for WEC and been up against some of the giants in the industry. So it takes the entire MPI team. We're kind
1: of in a rebuild year. What is uh, WEC's ultimate event success and goals look like?
0: We're still rebuilding that. And I think that One of the things that I've learned over the pandemic is I can't control what I can't control. And I think that as meeting professionals, we want to be able to control everything. Well, as we approached San Francisco, you know, we thought we would get 2,500 people there. That would have been a number that was 2019. But then gas prices accelerated. Prices of airlines went crazy, so that provided a hurdle for us to try to get over. So we were we were much more aggressive trying to get discounts from the airlines to get folks into San Francisco. I'll let Drew tell the exact numbers, but you know we were hovering around 2,000 individuals uh, for WEC. That's a success in my book. We came very close to meeting revenue goals. Our, our sponsorship team kicked it out of the park. We did do a, a somewhat of a hybrid event uh, a little bit uh, reduced footprint for that hybrid event than we have done in the past but able to connect folks to our general sessions and our feature speaker room and certainly content capturing for repackaging post WEC but I would say you know and then from a from a satisfaction survey so we're still gathering all those all those ha- I call them happiness surveys right? And we have a goal. If you're looking at it from a grade standpoint, if it's 90 and above, we should be satisfied because that's an A. But I'm not satisfied unless it's 95 or above from a percentile standpoint, because that's the goal that we want to have. I I expect everyone to be able to have an A to an A plus, certainly A plus plus if we could get it. Uh, experience at WEC. Certainly, not everything is perfect, so we obviously average all of that out. But those are basic KPIs. You know, we want to be able to get new members, so we have a strategy uh, associated with our registration process that that allows us to. To have non-members automatically become a member for a year so that we can convince them that MPI is the association uh, to be with uh, in their industry career. So, you know, we've already set ourselves up for success from a membership gathering standpoint. I think we garnered more members at this MPI than we have in in, in the past couple of MPI uh, WEC events, but we were, we were very, very close to all of our KPIs. Uh, so in, in, if you had to look at it from a black and white standpoint, it was, su- it was a successful event.
2: That's good to hear. Drew, any thoughts there? Melinda covered about every nickel and dime of it. Uh, a couple of things. She, she mentioned the numbers. The numbers were strong. We ended up with about 1,700 on site. So that's about 300 more than we had in Vegas. And it's 1,000 a, a more than we had in Grapevine we had about 300 who, who dialed in uh, virtually. And so those kind of hit a little bit of the trends that we've been seeing in general. And, and going to the satisfaction side, I think that's certainly I'm, I'm partly responsible for revenue, but I'm directly responsible for uh, helping that design and the experience that that Melinda's talking about. That's that's where the brand role comes in. And that's, that's a huge, huge challenge because you are cooking sh- for chefs, but we have consistently set up this. its And it's not a tagline so much as it is kind of a motto for WEC that we take risks so you don't have to. We don't want to just put on the same event year over year over year over year because that's just repetitive. You're not learning anything new. Um, you're not finding anything else, anything different. Um, what we do instead is we purposefully break things. We and We tell people things are going to go wrong, so just get... Get prepared and enjoy the ride because we're riding alongside you. Be part of our test kitchen, right? That's right. And the, the satisfaction rates show that we're breaking things, but we're doing it the right way because we're doing it in form. We look at the trends of what worked and didn't work last year, but then separate from that, or I guess supplemental to that, we look at what's going on in the industry to try and figure out what what are people wanting. When we looked at Vegas, it was really interesting. that WC event during the education sessions, the rooms were about half full. The hallways were completely full. So what does that mean? That means people want to get together. And my gosh, does that make sense? We've been locked away from each other for two years. So people just wanted to be together. So when we started to build out the design and the strategy for, for San Francisco, we started looking at, okay, how do we take education and networking and, and marry the two a little bit tighter? And so that 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 was the you know how brain dates and community came around. That's how our our theming for each individual day got set up. That's why each of the sessions just had a different feel to it. We really tried to give people the opportunity to get together and to enjoy each other's time. Um, And that's what folks wanted. There was another really big stat that came from San Francisco this year versus last is that our retention numbers were way up. So we typically try and hit about 30% each year. So what that means is we expect about 30% from people who Our goal is 30% from the previous WEC to attend in the following year. And we hit that spot on this year. In my four and a half years at MPI, I would never hit that number. So I thought that was really interesting. Right. So it shows that as the in-person events industry is coming back, those who are really interested in driving it and succeeding at it, they're coming to an event like WEC because they want to find out what the next is and they want to find it out in person so that they can do that on their own.
1: I think you're hitting the nail on the head here because I, you know, I can speak as an attendee. I'm part of the 30% that came year over year, and I think you know we're we're talking about this for Cvent Connect and just how networking and community engagement is so important right now. And I feel like you guys reflected that really well. And part of the reason I came back was because I felt like whoever I talked to or whatever networking event I went to in Vegas coming into San Francisco. I wanted to reignite those conversations again and and come back and get reinvolved. And I feel like as a brand person, like that's super important to MPI's brand and membership in general. But you guys talk through a little bit more of how you push that more with the the design. I know you mentioned Brain Date and some of the way you positioned your event design with sessions. Like, tell our listeners for those the people that weren't there, some examples of how you made that happen.
0: I think it's important to also say before we go into that, that we still have a lot of people in the industry who have not been meeting face to face. We're still seeing that as a trend. So they're stepping their foot into the water at this point. So it's important for us to to keep changing it up. But what we did in San Francisco is, is we really took a lot more engagement in campfire. So we had, we had lots of small group sessions. So we did it from an MPI MD standpoint in that community to a HR Emerging Leaders uh, community, to the event design canvas, you know, help us say tell what the future of WEC is from yoga sessions to the to our playground where you were networking and learning something and building something within that playground to brain dates. You know, we've been trying to work with brain dates ever since I started working with MPI and we finally made that happen and to make those connections with people and not have it be scripted connections, you know, kind of like the hosted buyer appointments are, which are terrific and they get the job done. But this is something else that you might be interested in. And it could have been event related or non-event related. I could say something like, how do you garden in the sandy soil of Florida? Does anybody want to talk about it? You know, kind of thing. So I think it gives you that opportunity specifically for brand dates to expand that. We actively told our sponsors who had positions throughout the floor that they needed to have activations. I can't make someone come to your booth. You have to help me in that situation. So you will always have someone who's not happy with their position within a floor space or whatever, but they have to come to the table as well with activations. And every time there were activations, you saw what was happening on that floor. It was electric what was happening on that floor.
2: That was specifically brilliant, Melinda. The the activations on the trade show or on the on the exhibit space in that floor were really really strong. They also, again, just through that that brand lens, each of the exhibitors did a fantastic job of finding a way to align their brand with WEC and MPI, so it felt like it all fit. There wasn't anything that felt out of place. You know, Encore's uh, headshot station was. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. They had a makeup artist. They had a really cool kind of screen behind for people to take pictures in front of. It was very well done. Steven had a really nice setup. Rachel, I gotta tell you that the cookies y'all had there were fantastic. I ate like four of them. So,
0: <laughs> Drew loves sweets. So you bring sweets to the table and Drew will Drew will find you.
2: I'm there. But everybody just, you know, Puerto Rico had their coffee set up and everybody was walking around with Puerto Rico cups. It's just this was the first time, honestly. This might be the first time that I've seen a setup at any show like that where all of the exhibitors were just very deliberate about their activations. And that made for that engagement and that helped drive home that networking point that much further. It wasn't people just listlessly walking around an exhibit hall. No, they were purposefully. hey, I I need to go do that before I leave. And it was driving people into the space.
0: I purposefully met with every one of our sponsors ahead of time, which I know that seems a little bit ridiculous, but I, I think that at the end of the day, we saw the results of that about how they could marry that brand and how important we felt it was for them to come to the table with something that was, that was compelling just to get them there, right? I'd give away a pair of shoes. Hilton did that and showed their green initiative within within their 10 by 10 space. So I mean, you know, everybody could think of it differently, but it, but it really felt different. And the use of that space. So I don't, and this is some of those things that we don't talk about a lot because we want you to see it within your own eyes. So the last time we were in San Francisco, I was not at that event. I joined uh, the team after the San Francisco event in 2015, but we activated all three of the floors. This year, we felt as though we really only needed to activate floors two and three, make it feel a little bit more homey, right? Don't spread everything out. Now, San Francisco, we gave them full reign to activate that first floor, which I think that they did a really great job at doing that. But those are kinds of things that you need to think about, right? When You're asking people to come to a city. I mean, I wanted them to do things like having a giardelli there, making chocolate and having uh, sourdough bread tastings and wine tastings and things like that, you know, bring the surrounding area of San Francisco into the convention center because there were a lot of times, and especially with the parade that we hosted while we were there as well, there were times that people couldn't get out of the convention center didn't feel comfortable in that. So how do you bring that local city uh, into that, and then of course the way that we took out ninety percent of the air walls associated with with that second level to make it open. I mean, the people at Moscone West said that no one had ever removed ninety percent of the air walls uh, and, and conducted a meeting uh, within that space using that type of setup. I mean, you know, we had to have a discussion with the fire marshal associated with that because it had not been done previously before, but that's what we're looking for. We're looking for how we can change a space, change the use for a space, think about space differently. I think that's great too, because with your event design, you you give event
1: professionals other ideas because sometimes I, if you work for a pharma or, or, or even tech or, or financial, they just are used to going by the book and doing, you know, the basic breakout, but at least at when they come to WEC, they can see the campfire set up, they can see the brain date, they can see the community areas, they can see the tech tour area, they can see the the puppy activations, the HR area, like you guys have so many different areas. And, and if you have a different style, like maybe your style isn't sitting and listening to a 45 minute session, your style is more one on one or more, you had every sort of option that they could I was just walking around at one point, I was like, I have so many things that I still need to do at this conference that I hadn't done yet, which is great because it does give you the ability to learn and take back some of that to your own total events program and say, okay, wait, maybe this will work for my attendees.
0: And we changed it up a little bit on the agenda, too. So I don't know whether you recognized it, but when we put the agenda together, we purposefully said if this was a one-on-one interaction opportunity, small group interaction opportunity Or was this just a lecture type of situation so that you knew if you're like me, I like to sit in the back of a room, right? If if that's how you wanted to experience WEC, we already identified those areas that you could do that and you wouldn't have to engage if you didn't want to. So we put that in the agenda up front to let everybody know you can craft your experience how you want to. And I think that that was important in the next step of, of the way to go down down the road, some of the things that we do are in your face, like opening up air walls and things like that. And you're not thinking about those kinds of things, but some of the things that we do are just subliminal. And you're like, oh, I didn't, I didn't even realize that was on the website or, or, you know, I hadn't thought about that or or those kinds of things.
1: The hybrid experience, I know you said you had a few people online um, watching your awesome general sessions. I mean, some of your general sessions just completely blew it out of the water for me. How is that digital journey for your members that weren't able to afford to come or wanted to see some of that content? And how do you guys kind of continue that journey in a community standpoint for those folks not able to attend?
0: Coming out of Las Vegas, we had a, we had a curated digital experience and we actually overscheduled ourselves, quite frankly. Whenever you're doing a digital program, you're really planning two events. And so you just have to figure out where those tie in between those two events are. As we only had limited amount of staff and, and limited amount of bandwidth, we wanted to encourage that face to face. You know, we're trying to go with the tide, right? Try, try to figure out where that pendulum is swinging at any one time. So, so that's the risk that we took was saying, all right, we're going to live stream our general sessions and then we're going to pick one other room where we're going to live stream uh, those, those deeper dives called our feature room. Then the other ones, we're just going to content capture. So we'll capture the slides, we'll capture the audio, we'll repackage that later. But that was a conscious choice on our part. You know, there were a lot of reasons why we decided to do that. Some of it was financial, quite frankly. Uh, San Francisco is, again, a very expensive city, uh, especially if you're going to charge for just a little tidbit of information for our planners out there. If you're planning on streaming out, from San Francisco and you're charging for that event, the union is going to want a cut of that. Just make sure we we decided to go free for our members. It was another membership drive for MPI for you to become a member so that you could get access to this live stream. And then we can repackage it anytime we want to post event, but always kind of keep that in mind and always ask that question. If you have a union involved, are there union opportunities that you're going to have to pay for because you are charging for this entertainment uh, aspect in that way? So, you know, there were a lot of decisions that went into that and I haven't seen any of the survey results yet, but I think that they loved what they saw. I think that they, uh, we created that FOMO, right? Which is you always try to try to say, well, do we want to give them access to everything, or do we want to just kind of streamline it, give them the FOMO so that they're coming the next time around, or, or, or deep diving on something later? So those are all the questions that you have to ask as an organization, have to ask uh, from an attendee standpoint, and know what their willingness to accept it is.
2: That conscious decision was made because we look at our own research that MPI puts out and the interest for virtual attendance has been on the steady decline and, and a sharp decline at that. So uh, we knew that we kind of overinvested ourselves in, in Vegas. We knew we invested correctly in Grapevine because it was a complete flip-flop of uh, digital versus in-person. So we knew that it was going to be the right decision and the, the numbers proved themselves. These are good learnings for this community to understand that people are, were able to get back in person. There are some cost challenges with airfare and travel and that sort of thing, but those will subside. And everything shows that in-person meetings are coming back and they're coming back full bore. So people have lost that appetite for virtual and digital, and they want the face-to-face connections. And that that's what we played out in San Francisco.
1: I agree. I think it depends on your attendees, obviously, and what your, your, your company goals are. And Things like that, but for something like MPIWC, that's very heavily focused on networking, being a part of your chapter, being a, a more invested in your membership. I mean, that is definitely something that you, I, I think you guys do a good job at. But also, I think you you hit it the nail on the head, Melinda, with like the the packaged content and the most important content, and and the FOMO aspect of it. Like that's definitely something that I know I do with my events. We we do like pre-event surveys to if we we know that. of our audience can't attend, then maybe we do more streaming. Or if most people are going to be returning, I mean, we're looking at the great return to events right now. And a lot of people are loving going to, to events, but some people may not feel comfortable if they have kids and can't travel or whatever the reason is, and having something for them online, whether it's like, maybe it's a webinar series that you did after WEC of like all the best, you know, we do the best of content, you know, I think that that's really helpful for people that weren't able to get there. Do you guys have any favorite memories from WEC or any sort of tidbits for the the listeners that weren't there that can uh, kind of learn from
2: you too? Honestly, I, I just when I walked into the very first general session and uh, saw people standing along the side, sitting on the floor, and every single round was filled. I was almost just a little bit in awe and shocked because. I frankly hadn't seen that in a while—a uh, completely jam-packed keynote session, and people just to the point to where Melinda or it may have been Tanya walked over to me and said, "You need to help me get these people sitting down <laughs> because they were stacked everywhere, and there were a few there were tables available, but it was just people just ready to get engage and get back to it. Honestly, that I just when I walked into that first general session and saw it, I just was like, man, this is. We're coming back. We're coming back. Just felt, it felt good. I mean, it felt great.
0: My favorite aspect of every WEC is the energy after the opening event. You know, you've done something right when people are leaving or they don't want to leave the opening event or whatever that happens to be, right? So that's really my favorite opportunity. And the fact that we were given the opportunity during baseball season. To have our party on the field at Oracle Park, I mean, that was a feat within itself. So when we talk about taking the risk so you don't have to when we go into a city, just a little tidbit for you planners, and especially for us, because we're planning for planners, I wanted to have the opening party at Alcatraz. And so we talked to the federal government and the Corps of Engineers about how it is that we could do a party at Alcatraz. Well, Alcatraz doesn't have any running water. It doesn't have any restrooms, those kinds of things. So while we were willing to do that, the federal government actually didn't allow us to get a permit to do it. So those are the kinds of things that we're looking for. We want to look at those one of a kind opportunities. To expose our attendees to. So, for us to be able to work with the San Francisco Giants uh, so closely and be able to be on the field as they were just doing an away homestay or or an away uh, string of games during Major League Baseball season was huge. The fact that we went back to City Hall, a lot of people don't do that. So we went back to a venue that we were at in 2015, but the experience and the vibe was completely different. And so for us, we needed that to occur. We needed that to be separate those are the kinds of things that we look for. But my favorite is is really at the opening party when everything comes together. I can breathe a little bit at that point because the train has left the station. Everybody's either on board or they're not. So for me, that's really my favorite part. That's awesome.
1: Thank you guys for for giving us all of that. And talk to me about 2023. Big announcement at WC this year about your next location.
0: Yeah, Riviera Maya going to Mexico.
2: Catanaroum. Yeah, we're excited about that.
0: Any sneak peek uh, things you can share with us? Sure. June 12 to 15, uh, by the way, you'll you'll start seeing a lot associated with that. We're really breaking down everything that you think about WEC from general sessions to breakfasts, lunches. We're in an all-inclusive resort. So having that availability of of having breakfast, lunch and dinner already provided for you gives us the opportunity as meeting professionals to really break down the assumptions associated with how you schedule an event. So, you know, we're we're literally going to do in our design session. What does that look like? Do I have to do a lunch every day? No, because lunch is already provided. So how is it that we build our educational opportunities? I remember back in the day before there were all these rules and regulations associated with medical meetings, you know, you could go on ski meetings. And what they did was you would meet like 6 a.m. to to 8.30 a.m. every morning. Then everybody would go and ski for the day. And then at last lift, you'd come back and meet from 4 to 8 every day. So you still had the same amount of time that you were meeting in your meetings, but you were given the day's free reign to do the events that you wanted to do with your family or whomever. So that's really the lens with which we're going to look at WEC 2023 is is how do you incorporate where you are culturally, environmentally, all of those kinds of things. We're extremely excited about it. We don't know what it's going to be like yet, but I'm just saying there may be some campfires down on the beach or on a wave runner or something like that. I don't, I don't know yet. I only do one-on-ones on on the beach. Yes, exactly.
1: (laughs) I feel like I speak for all hosted buyers. When we say hosted buyer program on the beach,
2: they'll thank you for it.
1: Any other things MPI has going on that you want our listeners to know about?
2: What don't we have going on?
0: I know, right? I mean, we've got our, we've got our thought leader summit coming up in, in September. In Mobile, Alabama. So we'll have registration open for that. Obviously, we, we are, are huge strategic partners with IMEX IMAX America. Uh, and so we obviously will be conducting our Smart Monday at IMAX America. And of course, the party not to miss uh, at IMAX America is our rendezvous event that benefits the foundation. So we'll be doing that again at Dre's. We'll have a red wine and you uh, auction uh, associated with the MPI Foundation for fundraising as well at IMAX America. We're constantly evolving, obviously, at the first quarter of next year, We'll be going back and and reopening our European Meetings and Events Conference, our EMEC uh, in Brighton. I think we've postponed it for like three years trying to get across the pond. So we are very excited to be able to do that at the end of first quarter next year. So those are are just a few of the things that we've got going on outside of all the other small things that we do on a daily basis. You guys don't sleep, right? No, pretty much. (laughs) So I'm, I'm a member of MPI, but if
1: I am not a member and I am listening, how do I get involved with um, an organization like MPI?
2: There's this thing called the internet and you can go to MPI.org. Uh, no, seriously though, if you're not familiar with MPI and want more information, uh, go to MPI.org and just start fishing around as is with any organization like us. Um, that's the entry point to all things MPI. The greatest things that we offer are truly education, which we we have our own university within MPI called the Academy. And uh, we've got 500 uh, on-demand courses along with, I want to say, 40 certification courses, not to mention an affiliation with San Diego State where you can get your master's, uh, with Indiana University where you can get your CMP um, and your CMM, which Melinda has. So we, we, there's just a ton of education, but it, that's kind of like just just uh, scratching the very tip there because the experience with MPI really starts with the people, and that that's at the uh, local level with your chapter. You know, Rachel, you mentioned you're with the Rocky Mountain chapter. We've got 70 chapters across the world, and we've got 12,000 members in 75 countries. So essentially, anywhere you go, you have the opportunity to, to connect with somebody who has the type of background and interest that you have. That can help you along your way the peer-to-peer connections are just unfathomable within mpi and I, I mentioned it before this this industry in particular is a giving industry it's a collective industry um it's a collaborative industry so an mpi just embodies that and all the people involved with it do as well so it's it's a, it's a tiny tiny investment that you make in yourself to become a member and talk to any member um, and, and ask them about the value they've gotten from it from Professional to personal, it's just there's, there's no price tag that you can put to that value.
1: I know from personal experience joining a local chapter, even if you're not a member, you can go to a, an event they host. Um, that's kind of how I started to get involved. And it really is like a small family that you're kind of walking into, which is, which is great. It's a great way to get your foot in the door and just be more a part of this community that's an, an amazing community to begin with. Thank you guys so much for joining. For our listeners, if you have not attended uh, WEC before, I highly recommend next year is a great year to go in Mexico. I will probably be there and and uh, enjoying the engagement and networking as, as much as all the attendees do.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Great Events, a podcast by CVent. If you want more resources on how to make your events great, go to community.cvent.com. That's community dot, C-V-E-N-T dot com. or if you've got a question for us or just want to say hi, email us at greatevents at cvent dot com.